Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? <clears throat> the real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. All right, Sixers fans, we did have some movement at the 2022 NBA Draft. Welcome to a new episode of Sixers Daily. I'm your host, Jazz Kang. Before we jump into things, don't forget, subscribe to Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. We're going to have you covered for everything that goes on over the offseason, especially the next few weeks here. And of course, check us out at libertyballers.com. Two of the guys who are responsible for some of the magic, can't say all of it because we have a talented team there too, some of the magic uh, for us at libertyballers.com. Joining me to break down the trade. What's going to happen in the next week or so are Mr. Dave Early as well as Jackson Frank. Jackson, Dave, what's going on? First, Dave will ask you, how are you feeling right now about the Melton trade? Good. I'm trying to wrap my mind around some of the implications cap-wise. It sounds like Danny Green's going to get his full $10 million. Maybe that was part of the deal. Uh, so that takes the scissors off the board for the large non-taxpayers MLE. Um, but just overall impressions, I'm happy with it. Melton's a guy that I've I've liked for a couple of years now, and I think he represents one of those guys who can sort of be a win now and win in the future player. And most importantly, like the thing that a lot of Sixers fans had in their mind is a guy who's good at both ends of the floor, which he I think he is. Yeah, looking at this and, and Jackson getting to get your opinion on this, I'll just let people know what happened first. The Sixers ended up moving the number 23 pick to the Memphis Grizzlies. They attached Danny Green to that deal. Danny Green's $10 million contract will become guaranteed on July 1st, not anticipating he'll be back after suffering that knee injury until some point in February, March of next season. But apparently, from what we're hearing right now, the Grizzlies will guarantee that. Uh, otherwise, it would have made this deal tough to work. So Melton comes back in return. He's due $8.25 million for next season, $8 million the year after that. Just 24 years old, um, still has a, maybe a little bit of potential to grow. And, and Jackson, before I ask you this, just looking at his numbers from last season, average 10.8 points, 10.8 points, pardon me, per game, played 22.7 minutes, shot the ball pretty well from outside at over 37%, 36% for his career. When you look at his fit with the Sixers, and considering what we've talked about a lot since they lost to Miami in the second round in terms of just bringing playoff-ready guys who are going to be able to give you some minutes. You look at his defensive rating throughout the playoffs, it was below 199.2. He was a plus player in terms of net rating. Jackson, you wrote a piece on, on Melton a while back as well. So what are your thoughts on, on this deal? Yeah, I, th I think it I think it makes it makes sense. He's a guy that um, has has long been a really interesting defensive player, uh, even dating back he's He's kind of an interesting prospect. He played at USC for a year. It's pretty interesting. The jumper wasn't really there. And then USC was involved in some of the FBI scandal stuff, and he didn't really play his sophomore year. And then it was a second-round pick, I believe, in the 2018 class. Um, but it's made a lot of skill development growth. Um, the jumper has looked a lot better the last couple of years. Um, he, he has some ball skills as well. He's not really a guy you want to run a lot of offense through on the ball, but um, is you know was a useful player in some spurts there. But uh, yeah, you know, still just 24. Like I said, he's made really big development in the last three or so years. Um, he, you know, I think part of the part of kind of the, maybe the hesitation with moving Thibault was that you you wouldn't have any sort of like really good perimeter defender, right? Well, I thought 
Melton was better in 2021 than he was, uh, or if he was better in 2020-21 than he was this past season, I think he was still very good. Um, you know, 6'2", 6'8", wingspan gets around screens, well in guard, one through three, good hands, pretty physical. Um, I'm not saying necessarily he's good as Thibault, but, it, you know, it kind of assages some of the concerns, right? If you're going to move Thibault, like how do you, you know, despite Thibault's warts, how do you replace, you know, the, the perimeter defense? You know, even if maybe people don't think it's as good as the all defensive labels, it's still, he's still a very good defender. So this kind of rectifies some of it. Uh, much better shooter, can shoot off screens a little bit. Um, was really streaky this year. It was kind of a tale of two halves of the year. Um, just kind of looking at the splits, he, you know, he shot, uh, you know, 30% from three, 33, 27th the first part of the year, and then was like above 43% the last three months of the season before the playoffs. So um, there could be some frustrating spells for Sixers fans in his shooting, but overall, you know, the last couple of years, right about 39%. So um, to get a rotation player and one that I think is a, a different type of rotation player than, than a Fiebel or a Shake Milton, um, or even a Max or Harden, I think makes some sense. So uh, you're not going to find a, a better option at 23. And obviously, you know, as much as Danny Green has provided the last couple of years, you're not going to get anything from him until about February. So uh, I think it makes a lot of sense for them. And I, I expect him to be a, a mainstay in the rotation. Now the next step is for him to really figure it out in the playoffs because the, the, the offense has really kind of faltered in the playoffs the last couple of years for him. And you've seen his role kind of dissipate a little bit, albeit on a very deep Memphis team that has options elsewhere if, if Milton's not firing well three, but um, yeah, I think it's very much a good pickup and a guy that's it's definitely going to help them on both ends in, in different ways. Yeah, Jackson, you mentioned his his playoff numbers ended up averaging just 5.6 points and his three-point shooting went way down, to, like you mentioned, fell off a cliff down to just 25% in the postseason for the Grizzlies, who obviously lost in the second round to the eventual champion Golden State Warriors. But Jackson, I want to stick with you on this as well, because you mentioned the regular season compared to the playoffs. You look at the Anthony Melton's offensive rating in the regular season, he was sitting at about 112, then the playoffs rolled around, right? And then we saw him kind of dip down to, again, very good defensively but when he was on the court the Grizzlies were 11 points worse basically per 100 possessions with him there so when you look at that do you have any reasoning for that other than the fact that hey you know it's a little bit tougher to play in the playoffs and some of the role players might see their just their numbers come down as well yeah I think a little bit it was just kind of the some of it was the streakiness and the fickleness of jumpers but also I think you know he's still only 6'2 and he's not you know, the, the most like bulky of players. And so he can have a tendency to get over, you know, kind of overpowered at times. And also he is someone a little bit similar to Thibault in that he likes to take risks defensively um, really good steal rate throughout his career. And so I think, you know, the more disciplined and astute offenses, you're kind of very able to manipulate that. So um, definitely maybe some concerning parallels with Thibault in that sense. But again, I think you're getting a, a, I wouldn't say he's like some savant offensive by any means, but you're definitely getting a, a much better offensive player and a guy who I don't think, you know, in a lot of contexts is going to be much worse defensively. Um, but yeah, I just think it's a, it's a, it's kind of a combination of the jumper being a fickle thing and where most of his offensive value comes from in the playoffs and his risk taking defensively being something that teams are a little better exploiting. So um, obviously, you know, for the, for the Sixers sake, the hope would be that you know, after a couple of playoff runs, he's played about 15 games of playoffs now that he kind of learns from those and improves a little bit, but um, yeah, definitely some concerns so from playoff POV, but again, a guy that is, I think, just clearly a better player than Matisse Thibel, and I don't want to necessarily just juxtapose him to Matisse, but I think he's going to fill that similar role, right, where he's he's going to be getting a lot of those tough defensive assignments when he's in there, and, you know, I think you could still see a world where Matisse does get moved this offseason, so that's kind of why I'm you know, doing it through that lens, and so in the sense that he's a much better player, it's going to help you considerably during the regular season at least. 
And so it's yet to be seen if that continues to the playoffs, but again, a, a guy that you got for a late first rounder and a guy who, you know, for someone who wasn't going to play most of the year, I think it's, it's, it's a very nice move and one that, you know, bolsters the rotation to what degree I'm not sure, but it still bolsters it to a, to a notable degree. Hey, Jackson, we're just happy to see somebody be willing to, and able to take and make a three-pointer in the playoffs. So at this point, so if you're comparing it to Matisse, because um, I'm with you too, I think this might be a move in order to fill in Matisse's role. I don't, you know, I don't know if Melton's going to be able to match Matisse's defensive capabilities, but at least he brings you someone who can generate some offense off the bench. Dave, looking at this now, you mentioned this off the top. So basically what this means for the Sixers, now that they made this deal, taking on Melton's roughly eight, million dollar salary over the next two seasons what it means for this offseason and the free agency period they won't have the non-taxpayers mid-level exception which is about 10 million dollars instead now they should have about 6.4 to offer a veteran free agent again might have priced themselves out of pj tucker just because of the fact that if you look at him opting out a $7 million deal with the Heat and maybe looking for an extra year of security. Uh, the Sixers might not be able to provide that at his price tag. But when you look at this from your perspective right now, Dave, does this make the Sixers a better team now? Just giving up Danny Green, obviously he's not going to be able to play for a year, but adding Melton, like, do you think this moves the needle at all for Daryl Morey to add some depth in order to make sure that this team can make a deeper run? Again, not the, not the last piece, but a piece who maybe fits into the puzzle to go deeper than the second round. Yeah, I think Melton Melton's a strong player, and, and Jackson hit on a lot of the key points here for us. If you look at his per 36 numbers, he's a much, much more comfortable shooter. He's willing to take these shots, and that's something that they haven't had. So they can leave him on the floor. They know he's going to be one of the best uh, you know, steals guys. Steals per 36 is really, really high, and that's strong for him. Um, I think because he's only 24, some of those things that we're already seeing as strengths, we can factor in to get better. Um if you look at it like he shot 36% from three for his career, that's a little streaky for sure. And we know from Robert Covington and some other guys that maybe Danny Green, Sixers fans don't have a ton of patience for streakiness. But then if you look at it the way he shot over his last two years, certainly an upward trajectory and better touch at the free throw line as well. So bodes well, in my opinion, I do think it makes them better. Uh, I think it's an exciting value for the 23rd pick. I think there's a good chance that if they used it, the guy wouldn't have cracked Doc Rivers' rotation, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. And, and I think that we we know that Doc has had basically an allergy to playing young players. We saw that with Paul Reed, uh, to a lesser extent, maybe Isaiah Joe this past season. And we saw that Reed was clearly an upgrade and a better option than DeAndre Jordan. Okay, looks like, again, we'll hop on and, and, and have you covered if anything does happen later on in the night, recording this just before 11 o'clock, um, after the Sixers made their pick. So Jackson, looking at this now, okay, we got next week coming up June 29th, a big day, because that's when we'll get, probably get the total amount that Harden's deal is going to be for the extension, whether he's getting the full 47.4 million for next season. And then the Sixers add on a couple of more. Uh, we'll get to know what happens around the league with, with a lot of these player options on the, on the 29th. So looking at this now for the, for the Sixers, what is the next goal, Jackson? Like you've, you've addressed maybe adding some bench depth that a guy who could be your eighth or ninth man in the rotation should be able to give you, can you say seventh, you know, somewhere in that range, but he's going to give you minutes, is able to put some points up, is pretty sound defensively. What else is on the to-do list right now, Jackson, if you're Daryl Morey? Yeah, so I think when you look at, you know, when we've talked, whether it was with you or, you know, me and Dave and others in the Liberal Slack, we've talked about a few different needs, right? You need maybe a fourth guard, right, or a third guard, whatever you want to call a shake there, you know, behind Maxine Harden. 
You need someone who can give you a little bit kind of versatility in the perimeter. And I think Melton kind of meets both those criteria, right? You're not going to have him guarding, you know, a lot of threes and fours, but you can guard threes in a pinch and you can guard ones and twos for sure. Now I think you need another kind of a, a bigger three and D wing and maybe a little more scoring punch. Granted, that's a very tough thing to find, but I do think that's why I, I'm a fan and proponent of this Melton deal because you do accomplish kind of one and a half to 1.8 of your three and a half to four needs. So um, that's a nice plus. But yeah, a three, uh, just a, a wing who can kind of give you some versatility at the three and the four um, would be huge. That or a scoring punch. Um, I don't, you know, I don't know how much, you know, we were linked earlier, the six were linked earlier today. Um, I said we were, we were made lucky to see, you know, we saw the report from Keith Pompey, the six were interested in, in uh, Eric Gordon. And um, so I don't know how much sense Gordon makes now, but I also, I also think he still does make sense because I'm not like sold on shake being your fourth guard, but um, I don't know if, if Gordon is like the ideal target here, but I still think you need a little more scoring punch and then some versatility defensively at kind of that three and four, that three and four spots. Um, but I think this definitely helps them a lot. And, uh, you know, does, you know, for lack of a better term, do, term does kind of kill two birds with one stone, even if it's not, you know, two to the fullest degree. I definitely think this accomplishes at least some of the needs that they, they need and you get it in one player. So I think that's a, a nice move for sure. But yeah, scoring or some perimeter defense at three and four would be the next big thing for them, I'd say. Dave, what about you? When, when you're looking at this, we're hearing that, you know, Paul Reed should get an extended look. Charles Bassey might get some love as well in terms of trying to back up Joel Embiid, which is a, obviously a tough task, but given the fact that he might get injured, given the fact that he does need some rest days at points, so that that does become a important position. You know, something Andre Drummond did admirably, I, I would say not great, but admirably when he, when he had to fill in at points last season before being dealt to Brooklyn. So when you're looking at this day, what do you think is, is next on the checklist for, for the Sixers in order to continue to build up some depth and get up to the level, really, when it comes to the teams like Miami, Boston, Golden State that have nine or ten guys that can play in a playoff game and not hurt you? I, I think I would take my chances with the combo of Reed and Bassey there. I mean, if someone came along, if, if Andre Drummond wanted to come back, maybe you think about that. Um, but I think I would continue to swing at the maybe the wing forward position if I had another use of, you know, maybe a six million or maybe they break that MLE into a couple three million dollar contracts and see if they could get a couple of these guys that they like. Um, because Kendrick Perkins hammered us with it on the broadcast, like wings are where it's at and wings is what the Sixers were lacking very much. Melton's going to help that. But Jackson talked. And I like how specific Jackson you were with the 1.8 of their needs. That was pretty good. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, like can Melton do some of what Sixers fans were hoping PJ Tucker could do, which is um, from a guard perspective, you, you would have some concerns putting Tyrese Maxey and James Harden on some of these elite playmakers. You feel a lot better about having Melton on there now. So maybe you want someone who can do something similar from the forward position. Yeah. And then I think they do need some athleticism still, and maybe they do keep Matisse and his four and a half million dollar deal on the books for next season to kind of keep that defensive base. Again, I don't know if that's going to be a fit or not, but there still are some moves to be made. We know they're not going to be having at least a first round pick on the roster. Uh, the first round pick would have been at about two and a half million at number 23. So again, lots of, of juggling going to happen between now and next week when free agency officially kicks off. Although let's be honest, fellas, we know that there'll be plenty of deals done probably by Monday, uh, but between some of these agents and organizations. Uh, lots to talk about that happened in the NBA draft as well. Some of them against some of the 
uh, involving the Sixers divisional rivals. Uh, also some news at the top of the draft board. The Orlando Magic went with a bit of a surprise considering what we had heard over the past few weeks. And of course, what would an offseason be without some Kyrie Irving drama? So let's uh, jump into that after a short break. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Click, click, click. Writer's block? Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, and we are back. Uh, if you didn't hear, the Orlando Magic taking Paulo Bancaro, number one overall from Duke. Again, that was a bit of a surprise. Uh, everybody was thinking that at the moment we would see Jabari Smith being taken number one. He also likely fell down to number three. Chet Holmgren going to OKC at number two. Uh, Jackson, let's start with you on this. Looking at what the Magic did, I know you tweeted out that you like what the Pistons did. They got Jaden Ivey, uh, pairing him now with Cade Cunningham. Potentially DeAndre Ayton, too, is, is a guy they might chase because they've cleared enough cap space. Uh, made a deal with the Knicks that ended up having getting Kemba Walker in, who they'll ultimately buy out. So they're not really messing with their cap space too much for now, but getting some more in the future. So when you look at this, Jackson, which team are you kind of looking at at this point and being like wow they did a really good job especially for the teams in the top 10. Yeah I think you know again I, I need to preface that I'm not like you know the, a lot of the takes that I'm putting out are like I've, I've watched some of them but a lot of it is me like watching tournament games and also reading all the excellent work that people who do this stuff full-time uh, produce but I think for me it's Detroit. Um, Detroit last year like the, the the context around Cade was really really wretched um, didn't really have a lot of floor space. He lacked kind of a, a great secondary handler guys who could both either like be an outlet for him on his drives or work off the attention he commanded on his drives on the perimeter. And, you know, I know it's not going to be a, you know, a, a seamless thing from day one, but they got both those guys, right? Jalen Duran is a great finisher, really good defender too. Jaden Ivey is a guy that, you know, I think a lot of people liked is kind of maybe a, a hybrid primary secondary initiator. Um, now he doesn't have to be, he has to get to be, he gets to kind of be that in, in that exact role, super quick, uh, incredible driver, great creativity. So that like, makes a lot of sense. I like that there. I think this further kind of lets Sadiq Bay go into kind of this floor space or mismatch scoring role rather than maybe some of the, the ball handling we've seen from, from the first year where there's limitations there. So, um, I thought Detroit had kind of a lot of stuff to accomplish and still does, but I think it clearly knows how to build around Cade. And, and, you know, especially at least offensively, and it's doing a good job of that. And it's also helping Sadiq Bay, who's shown a lot of promise. And this further takes some, you know, some burden off of Isaiah Stewart as well. He, you know, had, was really intriguing in year one, but maybe didn't quite show the growth you want in year two. So um, for me, it's it's Detroit. But, I, yeah, I, you know, I, like you said, Jazz, I, I like what Orlando did as well. Um, I think Paulo's a really, you know, really good, uh, you know, really good option there at one. They've got a lot of ball skills and versatility in that front court with Franz Wagner, Wendell Carter Jr., and Paulo. So, um, big fan of those two teams. I think, you know, I think 
OKC getting Chet makes sense as well. They needed some someone who could finish plays for 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 Shea and Josh Giddy and also need help in the at, at center. So and they're already a decent defensive team. I think they were 17th in defensive rating last year. So uh, you had Chet, who was you obviously herald for his defense. Uh, you're going to meet a good spot long term. So I like what all three of those teams did. Um, I don't have, you know that's kind of maybe the depths of my confident knowledge on these prospects, but. Uh, I really like what those those teams did. And I also like what Atlanta did, you know, with weekend AJ, AJ Griffin, really good shooter. Um, doesn't really, you know, appease their need for a second creator around Trae Young, but clearly a guy who, you know, when he does get playing time, eventually is going to get a lot of quality looks from Trae Young, who is, you know, obviously an incredible passer and playmaker. Yeah, looking at this and look at the separating factor between the teams at the top of the league and the teams that were picking in the top five and 10. And uh, you look at the Warriors, right? Almost a $400 million tax bill and salary bill next season. If they elect to bring everybody back, uh, obviously spending a ton. And then you're seeing the teams at the bottom starting to build out these rosters similar. And we saw Sam Presti do this before. We're seeing him kind of do it again with the thunder. He's going with a bunch of these young guys under 25, not as heralded as Kevin Durant, James Harden, Russell Westbrook coming in, but they got Shea Gildress, Alexander, 23 years old. You mentioned Josh Giddy, 19, you know, Chet only 19. These guys are going to come in and have the chance to develop together. And even if three of them, you know, reach somewhat close to their potential, the Thunder are going to be a, a very, very tough team to compete with in the next three to five years. And I think the Pistons are taking the same approach and so are the Magic. Uh, we saw Sam Hinkie try and do this with the process years. Again, didn't maybe have too much success with it, but it looks like that's what some of these NBA teams are doing now is valuing that cap space rather than trying to stay in the and kind of bottoming bottoming out rather than it's trying to stay in that you know the Portland range right now which is hey let's maybe sneak into the playoffs sneak in as a six seed and and see what we can do so I, I think it's going to be interesting to see how the league flip-flops in terms of teams at the top and at the bottom over the next few seasons here uh Dave wanted to get your opinion on this too you covered the Nets a little bit for clutch points last season I know you were involved in a, in a lot of their post-game media avails and and kind of broke some news when it came to that organization as well the Kyrie Irving drama right we've heard so many different things on that angle that now it's he's leaning towards and this is coming from Woj from ESPN saying that Kyrie leaning towards opting in and facilitating a trade the team's apparently on his on his list the Sixers again don't know how realistic that is but pretty cool to see them there the Knicks the Lakers the Clippers the Mavericks and the Heat not many of those teams have the cap space unless the Knicks make a couple of moves here to just absorb Kyrie in that fashion anyways but what do you make of all this happening in Brooklyn like did you see any signs of this uh, obviously when Harden was dealt to Philly at the trade deadline that you kind of look at it and say okay that whole thing wasn't working but while you were covering the team did you see any signs of this like kind of discontent between Kyrie and 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 Katie and the, and the rest of the organization minus the obvious issue which was the non-vaccination thing no I was pretty surprised by Harden wanting out I did think that he was going to stay you know I, I wouldn't have told you that I know for sure that he's the happiest player in the league but he was at the time we thought he might get like a $270 million contract at the end of the year. So I thought he would deal with whatever, whatever hiccups there were. Um, so I was definitely surprised to see it. You know, I remember when the news first broke from, from Jake Fisher, it was like his, he didn't like the closing lineups from Steve Nash and it wasn't really any smoking gun. Oh, he's definitely going to leave stuff yet. It was like, maybe the Nets can resolve these things. So when you see that, and then you think, well, now we're doing a repeat of this with one of the most unpredictable players in the NBA. I'm not overlooking this at all. I think I've already seen like 
Was it our Harrison Grimm resident sleuth who found that Joe Sy has liked a tweet of someone mm-hmm. saying mm-hmm. organization over any one player? I trust Sean Marks. So it does make me think that Joe Sy might have hit some sort of breaking point. You know, you could argue that maybe he compromised a stance by allowing a part time player to come back. And maybe that was frustrating for him. Maybe he feels like, well, Harden wanted out and that cost us a chance to make a real championship run. And I don't want to keep doing this. If I could get KD on board or save a handful of money, I want to try that. So my guess right now is that the ball is completely in Joe size court and he's not ready to, uh, to back up the brinks for a mercurial player. So there really is a chance that he could move on. Um, that being said, it just doesn't make sense to me to do that. I, I would, I guess if I was a billionaire, I would pay him to stay because I don't want to lose KD. Jackson, what about you? Looking at at the Brooklyn Nets situation, obviously a division rival for the Sixers. Ben Simmons got traded there in the James Harden deal that we saw in February. Uh, looking at this now, the KD after effect, and this again is reporting from Woj, basically saying that Kevin Durant would still look at his options with the Nets and, and talk to ownership and talk to Sean Marks and say, what is the plan if Kyrie does leave and, and might be enticed to stay? I mean, again, Ben Simmons, if he gets back to his pre back injury level still a very very good all-star level nba player so he does have somebody there alongside him that that is quite talented although again maybe not in the offensive and can't take much of the scoring burden off of him so when you look at this from your perspective jackson like what happens with with kevin durant in your opinion and also how what are your thoughts on what's been going on here with the kyrie irving stuff like do you do you think he's going to get moved next next week on thursday but you know a player option coming in and then getting into getting into the offseason officially on July the 1st, like where do you, or June 30th, pardon me, where do you think this all is going to kind of go with the net situation right now? Yeah, that, that feels like trying to predict, like, I don't even, I mean, Kyrie is the most like mercurial player. I feel like the most <laughs> mercurial, mercurial superstar we've had in a long time. Um, so I, I don't know exactly, but it just, it just feels like they're at almost an impasse, right? Like it's, I know that, Maybe some of the wording has changed over the last couple of days and there's still optimism that they could re- reach a deal. But like, I just, I don't know. I, I, I just, and I think we talked about on the live stream today, Jazz. Like, I just, I just don't, it just, it's tough for me to see this reconciled after like this past season. I just, I don't like just everything that's gone on. And I just, the fact there's even rumors about Kyrie going to uh, LA to, to, on the taxpayer Emily. If any, if any superstar was going to be the one who wouldn't act, would actually not care about max money, it seems like it would be Kyrie Irving. Um, so I just, I just think that they just, I seem, I think he's going to go elsewhere. I don't know exactly where, but um, you know, there's probably some teams out there that are loaded with role players. It could be cashing in for a star. Maybe Kyrie wants to play there. So Sixers are on his list. <laughs> yeah. 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 I've, I've seen that one. Uh, I know that you, Dave, you and a couple others had a pretty lengthy discussion yesterday in Slack about kind of the merits and the, the worries of, of that. But yeah, I just, I just think that it just, there's too much smoke here and the fire's going to come out. I just, I just can't see him being, oh, I guess I can see him going back to New York, but just, or I guess, sorry, Brooklyn, excuse me, but I just don't think it's likely at this point, but that's, that's pure speculation is kind of my amateur read on this entire situation. Dave, what about you? You wrote about this at Liberty Ballers and, and Kyrie's now, maybe impending trade requests. We don't know exactly what's going to happen as of yet. But when you look at this from, from your perspective, and I know what kind of what side of the fence you're sitting on, like, would you rather have Kyrie or James Harden for next season? For the Sixers, I would roll with James. Uh, I, I am very concerned about the hamstrings. Um, it's, it's basically been two seasons, pretty much, where that's been an issue for him. 
I wouldn't have those same concerns with Kyrie, but he ha- he does have his own injury history. I think Jackson mentioned like for one reason or another, you're penciling him in maybe for 60 games. And sometimes that even feels too conservative and, too, you know, you're giving him too many games because you never know what could happen to a player like him. Maybe he would decide he doesn't like it here. So I'll roll with James for that reason. But Jackson also mentioned that the last time we saw him, he looked like a top 12 to 20 player and James Harden, I don't believe did. So there's that complicating factor about it all. Um, but if I were a Sixer fan and I heard that Kyrie named him on their list, I would find that interesting regardless, just because it's nice when teams name the 76ers on the short list. Yeah, of, of course. I mean, it makes you kind of feel good. Although then you see the source of it and you're like, yeah, I don't really know if I, if we want that right now at this point. And obviously you're going to have that awkward dynamic again, if it ever happened that Kyrie and James Harden on the same team, as we saw in Brooklyn, probably not going to work a couple more questions before you guys, before we wrap things up for the night, Jackson, Tobias Harris remains on the roster and also remains a focal point for the Sixers to try and move in order to get some much needed salary cap flexibility, making 37 million next season, 39 the following year. Do you think there's any shot that the Sixers can move him and any team would be willing to take a flyer on Tobias Harris, as long as they might get, you know, some sort of asset in in return along with him at this point? Flyer is a funny term for a guy making that much. I feel yeah, like yeah, yeah, not a fly. Okay, yeah, but yeah, yeah, that, that's <laughs> I mean, a bad term. <laughs> we think we think about that with like a you know a lot a late lottery picker, a late first round, of the and you're getting him at the minimum or something. Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah, um, no, but yeah, I mean, I think I think Paul Hudrickson on it a lot too. That like I, I tend to agree with him. I just I think next offseason when when Tobias is on the last year of this deal makes a lot more sense. I just it's just tough for me to see how this works out, especially given that like the Sixers don't. They don't have, they're not going to have their first round pick next year. So like, what, like, what are they attaching to it? Like what's the sweetener? Like it's, it's James Springer enough. Like, you know, is, is Charles Bassey enough, you know? So I just, I just have a tough time seeing this work and like, you know, people talk about, about OKC a lot. And while I get that, like OKC now has like, has like seven different guys who can handle the ball that are young and like, and Tobias, you know, I like, I know that Tobias can play an off ball role as we've seen this past season, but like clearly also likes to run pick and rolls, have the ball in his hand. So I just, I don't see how that really like helps, you know, the fact that, you know, OKC has Josh Giddy, Shagos Alexander, Taylor Maladon, Trey Mann, Jalen Williams, Ujman Jang, like all these different guys that kind of, you could use the ball in their hands to get those reps. So I don't think that makes a lot of sense. So I just, I just think next year is the year, maybe the trade trade deadline at the earliest, but I have a very tough time envisioning Tobias be on the move before this next regular season starts. Yeah. And those, some of those teams who might've had the room to acquire and absorb Tobias Harris's deal. You mentioned the OKC Thunder. You look at the Pistons, teams like that, not going to have much anymore. And I don't think the, the Thunder really, really would want to mess with that young core that they're going to have by bringing in Tobias. And I've, I've said this a lot on the podcast network. I'll say it again, that he is a good, very good NBA player, but not worth the contract that he's getting, which again, not his fault. That's what the Sixers offered him. And that's what he took. Uh, Dave, we'll wrap up on this. Looking at this right now, Paul talked about this earlier. He was, he was quoted on Twitter by some people basically saying that the Sixers consider Tyrese Maxey virtually untouchable, which I think he should be as well, unless you're getting a start like Kevin Durant. We talked about this a bit on the stream earlier. But when you look at outside of Matisse Thibel, is there any other Sixer that you think right now that is the potential to be moved? Or who is the one that you're looking at that thinking that, okay, if Daryl might be able to add a piece or add some flexibility, that would be the guy he's going to be able to move? Yeah, I'm like almost checking Twitter now to make sure 
he hasn't already been moved, but Corkmaz <laughs> is the first guy that comes to mind because yeah. everyone was talking about there being very, very real traction to the Sixers' interest in P.J. Tucker. And I do believe that to be the case, but now they're about $11 million short to make that some, something like that happen. And guess what? Lo and behold, Corkmaz makes $5 million this year. So is he safe? In my opinion, no, he's not. And if the Sixers could find a way to trade him without taking back anything, I think they will heavily explore that um, for sure. Anyone else? Yeah, I'm trying of? to think. I mean, I, really, that that's it. Like Jackson, obviously, like what what do you think would be a sweetener for for Korkmaz? Like you don't have to add a first round pick for somebody to take five million. You know what I mean? Like, do you think somebody would be willing to take Ferk as is, or would the team still have to maybe add a young prospect like a Jaden Springer or Isaiah Joe? I don't think it's worth giving up on Springer at this point just to get five million dollars in salary. But like an Isaiah Joe, maybe as a as a sweetener. You think, Jackson? Yeah, maybe an Isaiah Joe. I. I mean, I know I, I was high on Isaiah Joe as, as a prospect, but like, I wouldn't move. Like, I would, I would move a second round pick for Isaiah Joe. I know he didn't shoot well last year, but like, that dude can legitimately play defense. He he moves well off the ball. He's a good cutter. Like, like I just think if you can shoot thirty eight percent, you got you got a guy that like provides you a decently more valuable role than what Corkmaz has the last couple of years. So that's just kind of a tangent. But like, I would I would move a second round pick over before I move him. Um, I I wonder, you know, if this like. I guess, I guess, like, if the Sixers signed P.J. Tucker, they'd probably start him. But, like, you wonder if maybe a guy like George Niang, like, I'm not saying it's to trade him, but, like, you just wonder, like, given his struggles last year and, and whatnot, like, maybe they're a little less confident in him. And, like, maybe you try to find you, – maybe you start small or something like that instead of, you know, instead of going P.J. and Tobias and you bring P.J. off the bench. I don't know if that necessarily makes sense, but I just could just kind of name in one more guy beyond, you know, Furcon, as Dave mentioned, which I think is the most plausible and, and realistic guy, I guess, move. But – um, I don't, I'm not predicting or even like saying that they should move George Yang, but I could just see it being a possibility, even if I don't think it's likely necessarily the most, you know, shrewd of moves. No, I mean, I, I agree with you. And you're, and you're looking at that. If you're trying to add some toughness and, and some size, like again, George Yang, not the biggest guy, but I mean, still plays with, with a lot of strength and is, is this bulky guy, obviously who, who shot the ball pretty damn well from the three point line. And he's only making three and a half million dollars next season. So you have some other passer like Dave, is that something you would explore? Because if you can free up enough to give PJ Tucker, that non-taxpayer mid-level exception, which is around 10 million, I don't know how he'd feel in year three of a three-year deal for like a 40 year old at that point. But if you can get him for a year or two, when you have him beat in his prime, when you have Harden getting into the final stages of his maybe higher end playing career, like Dave, is that something you'd explore too? If you can tack on Niang as well to, if it means, and that's of course, that's if it means getting a guy like PJ Tucker. Yeah, I wouldn't, I would, I wouldn't worry too much about what you're losing there. I think Niang was a pure enough shooter where some team would not worry too much about the cold streak he finished with. Uh, you know, you could just remind them that he was battling with a knee injury and that he's still a solid player, especially for the regular season grind. If you could free up, I mean, that's like $8.8 million there. And now you're pretty close to getting a guy like um, Tucker. I wouldn't worry too much about Tucker's final year because this is Joel Embiid's age 28, 29 season. So I would put a ton of emphasis on the next two seasons and if you got the version of Tucker this next spring that you saw, I mean, that's more than a $10 million value. Maybe you could load manage him, manage him to get him there safely um, and then ask him to do a little bit less than Miami did this current season. And then that, that could provide plenty of value for you, even though you'd be losing a couple of players you like. 
Uh, it's going to be interesting, guys, what happens here next week as well. Dave, as you mentioned, like now, okay, is there a path to P.J. Tucker? Will they make a deal, including a George Niang, a Furkan Korkmaz, a Isaiah Shake. Joe? We don't know. Yeah, yeah Shake Mel, like we, we don't know what's going to happen. We do know they need some more depth in order to compete with the big boys in the NBA. Again, right now, the Sixers, definitely a top eight to ten team, but a top four or five. I don't think so. And so they need to make some moves here in order to kind of get up to speed with the teams like Golden State, Boston, uh, Miami, Milwaukee. And so still some work to be done. We'll have you covered for it. I want to thank both you guys for joining me. As always, you guys have done a ton of work with us, um, especially today and over the over the past little while. So thank you, Jackson. Thank you, Dave, for joining us on, on this one. I'm sure we'll be back on the podcast network again at some point soon. Absolutely. Thank Thanks for having me. All right, that does it for the draft night episode of Sixers Daily. Don't forget, you can subscribe to Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. You can catch us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, you name it, we are there. And of course, check us out at libertyballers.com. As I mentioned, Dave Jackson, Paul Hudrick, Sean Kennedy, Steve Lippman, Tom West, Harris Grimm, a bunch of talented writers will have you covered for all things Sixers as we now head into the second half of the fun part of the of the offseason, which is NBA free agency. Looking like that'll kick off on June the 30th. So again, we'll have you covered at libertyballers.com. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Canva.